0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now today, we're going to talk about uh, an important phenomenon that's taking place in some locations, and I think needs to take place in a lot more locations, and that is a church using its facilities to facilitate Uh, multiple congregations and multiple ministries taking place in the same location. In order to do that today, I've invited my friend, Dr. Jason Robertson, the pastor of Huntington Beach Baptist Church, to come and talk with us about how his church is doing so many remarkable things, using their facility to house multiple other congregations and a very significant community ministry, and all doing it from one location with one set of resources. Jason, welcome today to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, I was fascinated when I visited your church some months ago uh, to see the story of what's happening, to see the excitement that's uh, evident on your campus. So uh, the first thing I'd like to underscore as we get started is you're just a normal pastor in a normal-sized church trying to do some Things that aren't really normal, quite frankly. But you really wanted to emphasize that you're 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 not a superstar. You don't have unlimited resources. You're not in the hottest new community. So why don't you tell us a little about your background as a pastor, and then tell us a little bit about the background of your church?
1: Yes, I uh, started out in ministry in Louisiana. Uh, saved at a young age, surrendered to preach when I was 12 years old, and uh, so got started in ministry pretty young and. Uh, So I pastored in Louisiana, but eventually moved to California to plant churches. And I pastored out here in one location for 13 years before eventually going to Huntington
0: Beach. uh, And and that's where I'm at now. Now, you went to Huntington Beach in 2016, and you followed someone who'd actually been in that church as the pastor for 50 years. Right. So tell us about that and just briefly how – That transition took place and how you came to be the leader of that congregation. Yes,
1: I was uh, looking for a church closer to uh, the coast, and uh, a friend of mine knew a pastor in Huntington Beach that was struggling with retirement, so he had been at that church for 50 years. He was in his late 80s, and and so he said, I want to introduce you to, his name is Dr. Gerald Squires, a godly man, and uh, so I met Dr. Squires, and his church was a wonderful congregation, but unfortunately, because of that circumstance, it had really lost momentum in all of its departments. And so it was a dying church. The good news was it, it wasn't dying because of doctrinal error or because of some type of scandal or anything like that or lack of integrity. It was just simply the circumstance. And so it, the Holy Spirit just drew my heart to that situation. And, and it was my desire to see that church live. I didn't want
0: to see it die. Well, when you arrived there, it was in also a significant financial difficulty. Uh, The church had a pretty large mortgage, and that mortgage had been called in by the lender, and really, you'd been given uh, 12 months to satisfy that obligation, or you were going to lose the whole property, which I think you told me may have been valued at as much as $15 million. This was an a significant piece of property there in Huntington beach. So tell us about that financial pressure you were under also when you arrived at the church.
1: Yes, that was the most difficult challenge at first. This was a good group of people, but it was a small group of people and they just couldn't afford. uh, Eventually they weren't going to be able to afford to keep it. And in 12 months they were going to lose it. It was a place, you know, basically going to be bankrupt. And, uh, so, uh, Step number one was to find a lender that would take this note and partner with us and say, just go on this journey with us. Give us a chance. If it doesn't work out, the place is yours. But it's a beautiful facility and a beautiful piece of property, and we believe that it
0: that God has something that he wants to do there. And your lender that came along was the Baptist Foundation of California, who became your partners. They, they took the mortgage. Uh, You've been paying that mortgage ever since, and they haven't gotten your property yet. But I'm just grateful that we have such good partners in California, particularly, that we're willing to step up and help make this happen.
1: Yes, literally, on a financial basis, nobody would have taken that situation except for the Baptist Foundation. They are true partners in kingdom
0: work. So let's summarize what we've learned so far. You're a pastor who came to Christ as a child, has been in ministry most of your life, Uh, You came to this church at Huntington Beach. It was a church that was struggling, Uh, a longtime pastor, but perhaps the church had become a little tired, a little uh, discouraged, some significant financial pressures, and now you arrive. And you begin to pray, to vision, to... Consider what the possibilities might be for the future. And we're going to get to the conclusion, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to talk about some of the ways you got there. But the conclusion is that today, there's actually four churches meeting on your site, A fifth church that was birthed out of your site that's just recently moved to another location. We'll talk about that in a moment. Plus, a very significant recovery ministry that meets in your church seven days a week, morning and evening, which is touching hundreds of people, all happening on that one location. So, that kind of multi congregation, multi dimensional ministry off one piece of property led by one congregation is what we're trying to talk about on the podcast today. So, You got to Huntington Beach, and you had this vision for expanding your ministry by uh, bringing in these different partners or opening yourselves up to these partners. What was the first step you did to sort of get this process going? The first thing
1: was I talked to the congregation, and I said, look, normally in a circumstance where you follow a pastor, a pastor who's been there that long, is you don't change anything. But in this situation, we literally have to change everything. We have to change our mindset first. And the congregation was willing and ready to do it. And I want to give them props Mm -hmm. because nothing we're about to talk about could happen had it not been for the the spiritual mindset of that congregation. They were ready for God to give them a fresh vision. And so what I said was, is we need to change everything. We need to change how we're doing church and everything, get it caught up to reach this community. But also, if we're going to lose this property in 12 months— why don't we just start giving it away? Mm. Let's give it, let's see what would happen if we could just give it away.
0: Now we're getting into what is the, some of the most exciting part of this story to me. And that is rather than think about how we can monetize the property by leasing it out to a lot of groups, you took an opposite approach. You said, Hey, we may lose it anyway. Why don't we just try to give it away? And you started inviting others to come and use your property rent free.
1: Yes. We started with reaching out to local charities that we believe were doing God's work and said, hey, why don't you guys come over, use our property, our facilities. Normally you have to pay an enormous amount of rent or rental space when you're using facilities like this. Come here for rent free. We want to support you. We want you to know that our church loves what you're doing and we're behind you. So people started coming. Also, I reached out to all of our Southern Baptist partners from the North American Mission Board, State Convention, Local Association. I said, do you know of any pastors or congregations that don't have a place? I'll let them come over here rent-free, rent-free. I I just want to see this place filled up and being used for as long as we've got it. Let's use it to the maximum extent.
0: That's fantastic. So uh, the opportunity that you created, some started to avail themselves of that. And eventually, as I said, there were five churches that were meeting on your site. Of course, the first one is the historic church, the foundational church, Huntington Beach Baptist Church. And we're going to talk in a little bit about how that church has continued to thrive in ministry and how it has been revived by the approach that it's taken. But that was one of the churches that's there. A second one that I really like the name of the church, probably as much as anything, (laughs) and that is Garage Church. Now, I've walked through the part of your facility that Garage Church uses. There's a motorcycle on display, NASCAR posters on the wall. It's definitely a gearheads church, okay? It's for the guys that like to go round and round or go fast. How did Garage Church get started, and how did it become part of your movement, and what's distinct or unique about it?
1: Well, in one of our uh, charity groups that came in and was doing a fundraiser in our parking lot, It was during one of those events that this group of guys rode up on Harley motorcycles and uh, and got involved in the event. We were raising funds for a local youth shelter. And these guys came over to me and said, hey, we're Christians and we've got a little Bible study uh, that meets. We're all from Huntington Beach, but we don't have any place locally to meet. Would you mind if uh, we could rent some space from you? And I talked to them for a couple of hours that day and realized these were godly men. And I said, fellas, there's no way I'm renting space to you. Here's the keys. It's rent free, whatever you need. And they looked at me and like, first of all, usually people won't even talk to us, but we've never had a pastor give us the keys of the church. Exactly. (laughs) And so those guys started a Bible study and I worked with them. I'd attend their Bible studies. I'd encourage them. And it wasn't long that I realized there was something more here. So I ended up training those men, ordaining them into the ministry, getting them assessed by the North American Mission Board, and launching the Garage Church with them, which now
0: is growing. It's almost as big as our original congregation. That's fantastic. You know, it really fits the the culture of Southern California. There are so many uh, classic car clubs, motorcycle groups, Uh, racing organizations, and other car culture people here in Southern California that would naturally be attracted to a church that has an affinity uh, for that particular uh, cultural niche. And so I love Garage Church. I like car racing. I grew up around it as a child. Uh, It really resonated with me when I walked in and saw all of these uh, uh, the decor items in that part of your facility. So one of the congregations that came along was Garage Church. Now, a second one is Ministerios Huntington Beach. So talk about that one and how it came to be and what's distinctive about it. That's
1: one of the uh, churches that came to me through our association. It's a Hispanic congregation, and they just didn't have a place to meet at all. And they were small at the time, uh, only running about 15 people when we met them. And uh, so we, again, same attitude, gave them the keys of the church, found them a place and a time slot on the calendar, and and so they— started a hispanic congregation
0: well and then a third group is huntington beach korean church so again i'm assuming they're korean uh tell us about how that one came about and what it means to your church or to your uh to the use of your facilities
1: this story has to do with a couple who were members of that original congregation when i got there john and mia kim originally from south korea both in uh, the, the South Korean military and come to faith in the Lord at, at, uh, as older adults and uh, had moved to California, get this, to be missionaries, mm. missionaries to America. Mm-hmm. And they were in the congregation. And so I said to them, well, here you are. Have you started a church? And they said, nobody ever asked us that. And I said, well, let's consider it. Again, over a period of time, we trained them. Uh, We ordained John, we put him through the North American Mission Board assessment, and they started, get this, the first Korean congregation of any kind
0: in the city of Huntington Beach. That's fantastic. So... Now, we've got Huntington Beach Baptist Church, the foundational church that started this movement. Garage Church has become a part of the movement. Ministerios Huntington Beach and Huntington Beach Korean. But then there's one more, a fifth church that started on your location. Now, it's recently moved for some other reasons, not because they aren't welcome or because uh, there was any problem, but just for strategic reasons. And it's called the Daily Church, and it's actually an attempt to create an online church community and to facilitate that globally. So talk just a little bit about that. That sounds like a whole separate podcast to me, but a little bit about how that church started and then maybe how it was formed as a part of the group as well.
1: Yes, you can find the Daily Church online. Their congregation is primarily an online congregation and a global congregation. They're reaching into over 20 countries every week and see thousands of converts. And so we let them use our facility they had in-person gatherings right before COVID. When COVID came, they had lost some of that momentum and uh, but they remained in their online uh uh aspect and have grown And so currently they have relocated their in-person meeting over to Newport, which is closer to where the pastor lives, and he's he's building up the in-person congregation. He's still a part of our team and our collective and is considered a part of our church.
0: That's fantastic. Well, I know when I first met you and uh, talked with you about doing this podcast, there were all five of you still there, and now this one has moved into a different venue, but still a part of the collective, as you call it, and I think that's a beautiful word for it. Well— Before we talk now about some of the details about how you all work together, I want to just emphasize one important aspect. How much rent are you charging all these people for using your facility? We don't charge rent. So you've invited all these partners to be a part of what you're doing as an expression of Huntington Beach Baptist Church's commitment to the Great Commission and to reaching people in your community with the gospel. And you really didn't go into it as a means to, quote, uh, make that mortgage payment or anything like that. You just went into it with the idea we're going to give ourselves away and see what God might do with our church.
1: Yes. You know, in some ways, the problem was so big that it put us in a position to where it forced us to trust God. Instead of trying to figure this out the logical way or the financial way, let's do it bigger than that. Let's trust God to fig- in the way to figure this out. And so our mindset was give it away. I-, I wouldn't be able to rent to enough people in enough time to save the place. So I knew that wasn't going to work. I didn't know how it was going to work, but I knew that wasn't going to work. So we just trusted God to see what would work. And as we kept giving it away, things just kept getting, um, I guess I want to say better, but it's more than just getting better. There was blessing there. Mm -hmm. There was joy. There was excitement. And here we are six years later. And we're still there, never missed a payment, and have never charged rent to anyone.
0: Well, that was what I was about to say. My next question was, how many mortgage payments have you missed in the last six <laughs> years? And the answer to that is zero. You're current on that mortgage, and the California Baptist or the Baptist Foundation of California still doesn't own your property, but they're still your ministry partners. That's fantastic. Now, you mentioned earlier also that the the, the foundational church or the church that was there when you first arrived, Huntington Beach Baptist Church. Um, it's still going, it's still strong. How has this strategy strengthened that, that part of the collective? How has it strengthened you spiritually? How has it strengthened you financially? Just what difference has it made in that church itself, the core church that started this whole movement? So
1: when I first got there, the, the focus was, how do we survive? And it was a very inward focus. But because of what the Lord did, immediately our focus was shifted to others. And that really began to change the DNA of our church. And so now we have got such a huge amount of people that are volunteering, getting involved. Every time one of these churches are doing an event or something, all the other churches and congregations show up to get involved and work behind the scenes. And so there's this spirit of, of uh, unselfishness. There's a spirit of camaraderie, of, of volunteering, of helping. And because of that, there's just this spiritual fruit there. There there's a, a spiritual growth that's taking place. We're still a normal sized church. We're not a we're not talking about a big church or definitely not a mega church. It's just a normal sized church. But abnormal things are happening because we're not focusing on ourselves. We mm. keep focusing on
0: the kingdom work and God just keeps blessing. That's so fantastic that phrase. You're not focusing on yourselves, but focusing on focusing on kingdom work. I love that. Now in the uh, you've, we've both used this phrase, normal-sized church, a few times here. Uh, you said earlier to me uh, in preparation for the podcast that on a typical Sunday, there'll be about 250 people in the worship services of these churches while they're meeting on site. We're not talking about a megachurch. We're talking about a normal-sized church. But beyond that 250, of course, that's who shows up for worship on a Sunday. There's probably at least double that number of people that are affiliated with these churches if it's typical of a church with people on the road, sick, out of town, all that kind of thing. But beyond that, you're operating off your campus also a significant recovery ministry. Now, you said that this came out of the garage church primarily, but now, of course, it's expanded far beyond that. You have recovery meetings every morning and every evening, seven days a week. And this is a staggering number, but you're able to document about 900 people that are coming to your campus every week for one of these recovery meetings. Man, tell me about that how that developed and what that does and the impact that has on the use of your facilities as well.
1: Yes, when we launched the Garage Church and we were training these new young church planters on focusing on their community, and uh, and they're a tip-of-the-spear type of ministry reaching unchurched people. In fact, their worship services on Saturday nights, and uh, so it's targeting people that normally don't go to church. Well, one of the common issues that we found was recovery issues. People in our city, there's a lot of addiction issues. And so we needed to have a ministry for uh, recovery. And we, we started one in 2019. And it was really just an aspect of our outreach through the Garage Church and through all the other churches working together. Then COVID hit. When COVID came in, in 2020, all the other recovery groups in our city were kicked out of their facilities due to government mandates. Well, here we were with the mindset of giving our property away. So we just called them all. And we said, hey, if you're looking for a place to meet, we've got a place for you. Come on down, rent free, meet in our facilities and see if you like it. Well, at first, 30 people showed up. Next week, 50. Next week, 100. Like you said, now we've got 900 people per week that come. And this is these are people primarily... Don't go to our church, don't go to any church. Right. But they're walking onto a church campus and we're seeing the benefit. We're already baptizing some of them, joining our churches, not just they can now, they got multiple churches to pick from. Sure. In fact, one gentleman uh, came through the recovery center, came through the garage church. He's now joined our residency program and uh, is pursuing the call to ministry.
0: That's fantastic. Well, I'm just so moved by how you are using this property, and I go back and re- recount what we said at the beginning of the podcast. You, you arrived in 2016 to a discouraged church that was facing financial uh, calamity, really, with a mortgage that was that had already been called by the lender, and you had 12 months to resolve. You found a ministry partner who would help you financially, but then more importantly, you found a vision for how God could use your property to expand your reach to include multiple congregations meeting on your location and this fantastic opportunity of connecting with the recovery movement in your city and stepping in during COVID and making your property available. So you just think about this. A church that had uh, really a, a very limited future, uh, very much discouraged, not sure if it uh, how it would go forward today – easily has well over a 1,000 people gathering on their site during the week, being impacted by ministry, being involved in worship, working together to expand God's kingdom in creative ways through this uh, online church that's been launched. All of this happening because the church decided to give itself away and make a difference in the lives of others. Now, having said all that, uh, you've gone beyond just uh, doing this online um, organically. You've also found ways to make this more of a legal relationship with these congregations. You've revised your church constitution, bylaws, governing documents. Talk a little bit about that process and why you felt it was important to do that to bring some kind of uh, legitimacy and strength, if you will, to this sharing of facilities that you're doing. When I got to the church and we began to have a fresh vision,
1: we were basically what you might call these days a revitalization situation. Right. And when you're doing a revitalization, it, it is going to require you to, to check your constitution, check your bylaws. Every church should be doing that anyway, but especially if you're revitalizing, because things need to be brought up to this new vision. And so we began to look at that, and now all of a sudden God is adding to our vision, and we're beginning to see more clearly what he wants us to do. And so we decided in our new bylaws and constitution to spell this out, that we're a multiplying church that partners with uh, congregations, and we wrote in our bylaws, uh, the bylaws in such a manner to where these congregations can meet on our facilities— Technically and legally, they are members of our church, Mm -hmm. but we treat them practically as if they're their own separate congregation, and that pastor is the lead pastor of that congregation. And now me and those pastors, we meet every week. We're a team. I don't tell them what to preach. That's their congregation reaching a different culture than what I'm reaching. But we partner together. We Mm -hmm. pray together. We encourage one another. We have each other's back. And so what's happening is legally they're safe. They're in our group. They're covered by our bylaws. They're covered by our insurance. They have all of this stability that normally a church plant might not have. And yet they're being treated by us as if they're their own independent congregation. I'm telling you, Dr. Orge, we have seen this be so effective in treating people with respect, mm-hmm. treating these pastors with respect, right. rather than the old way of treating them like tenants, right. like renters. Right. No, this is your property. You're part of us. Of course, that's your congregation, and you're leading them. So it's both at the same Mm -hmm. time, Mm -hmm. and it causes that group to grow healthy while at the same time being protected legally under our auspices of our bylaws.
0: I really appreciate, uh, Jason, your vision and wisdom in that. You know, as a leader, I always have to ask myself, what's the worst thing that could happen? What could go wrong? How can I make sure that we're not being vulnerable to either inside or outside attack? And sometimes it's easy to get caught up in that and be paralyzed by it. Well, you've not done that. You've taken seriously those needs, uh, the need for uh, legal protection and legal definition, while at the same time, not letting that hold you back from doing the creative things that need to be done to expand your ministry through these other congregations and other leaders. So I really applaud you for having the balance of being able to do both those things. Now, we've told this uh, wonderful success story today, and it is a success story, and it it is an exciting one but there have no doubt been some challenges along the way. So what have been some of the hurdles you've had to get over, some of the difficult moments that have come up? Uh, what are some of the, the, not so much obstacles, but maybe some things that just have to be dealt with when you're trying to do the kind of ministry you're describing today? Two things come to mind, trust and communication.
1: Mm. So that begins with the original congregation. We... Um, when we began to talk about we're going to open up our property, and even what you're talking about a moment ago with the the legal risk that come with that, uh, we had to have good communication about it. We talked about everything. We listened. We made sure that everybody was heard, and we went forward together, and that built trust. And also, we took on the risk together because we didn't always have all the answers. Right. So- but, no, but everybody knowing what we're doing and why, we're willing to take the risk with you because, because trust is built when you have good communication. Mm-hmm. Then, so that's the original congregation. Then as we brought – there were pastors and congregations that came to us that heard about what we were doing, and they didn't want to partner. They wanted to rent from us. hmm Yes, and we've met that challenge of of meeting people that didn't really have the spirit of cooperation. They were just looking for opportunity, right? And so we work through those situations. So we're not looking for renters; we're looking for partners. Mm. And uh, we developed how to uh, to talk through those circumstances. And. Then as our congregations begin to meet and grow, you run into scheduling issues. Right, You run into uh, bumping up against each other on different issues. Uh, One church may be feeling like it's getting a better time slot than another, all those types of things. But again, the answer to it all is clear communication and trust, Mm -hmm. and you have to just spend time with each other to do that.
0: Yeah. Relationships. And I would also... I would also because I know you I would expect that there's also been time with these leaders spent praying. Yes. And really seeking God's uh, common mind about what he wants done as a really uh, not just a perfunctory thing you do but as the strategy itself. Our strategy is to pray, seek God's leadership and try to do what he says for us to do. So, trust, communication, relationships and then like you kind of went by this but I think it's pretty pretty important. Having the spiritual maturity to pass on some people that yes. really didn't look for partnership. They didn't really want to have a spirit of cooperation. They really wanted to be tenants and maybe even competitors. That wasn't really who you were looking for. And then uh, having the the, uh, the patience with each other to just solve some of these dilemmas like scheduling and other things that come along. Well, out of all of this, what are some of the main positives or just some of the main takeaways that you would say have really been the most of a blessing to you. And I'm going to give you one. You told me earlier that you ordained three new pastors this last weekend. God is raising up leaders through your church because people are seeing new models of leadership and new opportunities for leadership. So one of the probably unexpected positives of this has been how God has prospered these congregations and started raising up leaders from among them. But beyond that, what are some of the other just positive things that you take away to say, man, I'm so glad that happened to us because we made this decision?
1: Well, when your campus turns into... Uh, an evangelism hub is what happens because there's so much outreach, so many new people coming. Uh, sometimes people are coming and they're part of the congregation. You don't even know that they're part of the congregation because that congregation just got started or whatever. It's exciting, and different cultures are meeting on the same place, and we're all sharing common vision, common strategies. So you see, the, you you just really feel like you see the kingdom of God on a, on a campus. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exciting as fun. And it, so it's so much more of what you preach and you're discipling and you're teaching people, they get to see it in action and they're living it right there. So I, I look at that as a, a great positive. I also want to go back to what you said about uh, pastors being trained and ordained because we have now just modeled what it means to uh, respect, pastors and congregations, and look for new pastors and congregations, it has developed an environment on our campus where we've got more and more young men open to this. Right. If you're in a traditional setting, there's one pastor and his congregation— and their church property, and you're not going to break through that. <laughs> you, you know, you're you're the young guy is looked at as like you said a moment ago. Maybe even competition. Like, what if his group grows faster than ours? What happens then? We've changed that dynamic. Right now, we're asking guys, "Is God calling you? Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about it? Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about being a church planter?" In fact, we're not just looking for planters; we're looking for pastors. Right. Right. Maybe you don't have the skills or the gifting for planting. That's okay. We can help you with that. Mm -hmm. We're looking for pastors. Maybe there's a congregation that God wants you to shepherd that is beyond the one I'm shepherding. Have you ever thought about? And so it's a whole new environment, atmosphere, and you feel that when you walk on the campus.
0: Yes, you do. Wow. Wow. Well, it was my privilege to be there a couple of months ago, to preach there, to experience what's happening at uh, this location there in Huntington Beach. And I hope today the podcast has inspired some of you. You have a struggling congregation, and you have some maximum facilities, and you wonder how could we make better use of these resources God has given us. Perhaps today's podcast will motivate you, inspire you, and challenge you to do just that. Now, Jason... Do you have a public email address you'd be willing to put out there on the podcast? Because some podcast listeners might say, I'd like to get more information about this. I might like to go visit the church. I'd just like to know more about how they did this and how we might could do that. Is there a way that people could reach out to you directly if they wanted to do so?
1: Yes, they can have my email address. It's very simple. 44jason, J-A-S-O-N, 44jason at gmail.com. Just reach out to me, and also you can go to our church website, HB, as in Huntington Beach, hbchurch.net.
0: Hey, thanks for that. Well, today's podcast has been about getting the maximum ministry done on the facilities God has given us and about changing the paradigm and the vision of how we might use our facilities to have multiple congregations and multiple need meeting ministries becoming, as my guest today so eloquently said, an evangelism hub that is reaching people in the community. Put this into practice this week. Make a difference in your community as you lead on.